What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a Sports Ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. If you're not following over there, I'm assuming most of you guys are at this point, but if you're not following over there, that is the source of all of our links for podcasts, articles, polls, news and notes, anything that we share out over on Twitter, uh, that is the place to find it, Ethos Fantasy BB. I try and share out as much from my own personal account as well, but make sure you guys are following along with the company account. You don't miss any content that way. And to be 100% sure that, sportsethos.com is the website for you guys to be checking out. There's a lot of great content across all four major sports. We have wagering stuff, wagering slash gambling. We have DFS. We have team coverage that's outside of fantasy altogether. There's a lot of great stuff over there for you guys to be checking out. Now, before we get into the show, I want to just remind everybody, because it is Monday, usually more people tune in on Monday than the end of the week. It does vary a little bit, but I do want to get it off at the beginning of the week here. I'd really appreciate any people subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast, doing anything that you guys can do to support the show. It just takes a couple minutes. If you guys hit the five-star button, leave a couple of kind words in the review section, it really does help out the algorithm, and the algorithm, I have no idea what goes into it exactly. That's well above my pay grade, but I know the more you guys that like and share and subscribe, the more people will see the show. And during the down months of the offseason, that is a really great way to offset people who are listening to football podcasts and basketball and hockey and people who just are maybe just straight baseball season listeners and then tune out in the offseason. You guys can help offset some of that damage by just uh, hitting the like buttons and subscribing and all that. So really appreciate those of you who've already done that and those of you who will do that. Uh, But let's get into the show. Let's talk about what today's topic is going to be. And it's going to be a little bit all over the place, but it's all going to generally have to do with the flurry of activity that is going around the league right now. We're not going to be doing reviews today. We're done pretty much all of them at this point. We just have pitching left, starting pitching and relief pitching. I may do relievers first and just leave... Uh, SPs for the end because they're my favorite. I think a lot of people tune in more to starting pitcher shows than probably any other position just because it's the one that I think we put the most attention to a lot of us, or maybe it's just because I used to be a pitcher. Uh, But in any event, we'll be talking about that later on this week and into next week as well. And then I'm thinking by the end of next week, probably we'll be done the reviews and we can start kind of looking forward. We're going to be doing team previews starting in the new year. We're going to be looking at positions. We're going to be looking at categories. We're going to be doing all kinds of great stuff. But today we're going to look at some of the news and speculation that's going on around the league. We're going to talk about Shohei. We're going to talk about Juan Soto and all the rumors there. We're going to talk about the trade from last night, which was Jared Kelenic being sent to the Braves. Kind of surprisingly, that Jared Kelenic was traded, but we'll talk about that later. We'll also touch on Jackson Churio signing that long extension before he's ever played a game in the major leagues. And then we'll talk a little bit about Yamamoto and how much money we expect him to go for and where we expect him to sign. Uh, That will be the rundown for today. But let's start off with a little bit of Shohei Otani speculation. And I've said for weeks and weeks and weeks now, I think maybe even going back to the regular season, that we'll pause whatever we're doing and we'll talk Shohei if he does happen to sign on a given day. It doesn't matter if we're in the middle of another show, if we're doing a completely different topic, uh, we'll pause what we're doing, and we'll talk Shohei. But there's been nothing that's really happened, and we haven't talked about him in a little while, so let's just give a little bit of an update. I know you guys have probably seen a ton of what's going on on the news, but let's talk about it a little bit here. So the most recent report that we have is from John Morosi, and he's been pretty on top of this this time around, and even last time when Shohei was initially uh, coming to the States to play. He was the guy who was mainly covering it. There was obviously a bunch of reporters involved, but Morosi did a really strong job the first time, and he's been on top of it this time as well. His most recent report is that the Braves are interested in Otani now, which of course they are because that's all they need, right? They need the best hitter in baseball to go along with everything else they got going. With their already historic offense from 2023, let's just add the best player in baseball to that. Now they're now in the group of teams that reportedly includes the Cubs, the Angels, the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Blue Jays. Now, the Red Sox, Mets, and Texas Rangers have taken themselves out of the running, apparently. I don't know 100% if this is true, if this is going to remain, because, you know, if a team gets a good offer or a team just, you know, changes what they're thinking and maybe they offer a little bit more than they previously had been or whatever, there can be a lot of changes that do happen over the next week or two weeks and however long it takes for Otani to sign. So I don't know that anybody's 
fully in or fully out. And there was a really good thread this morning on Twitter from Chris Black, Christopher Black. Uh, his at is down to black, and he is a producer for Sportsnet in Toronto, which is the station that covers the Blue Jays. Um, the station that is owned by the team, and they are the main source of Blue Jays coverage and content in Canada. So he was he put out a thread on Twitter this morning <clears throat> talking about how in 2017, how that process worked for Otani's recruitment. And he is the one who reminded me of how on top of it Morosi was in 2017. And yet, this is what the final seven favorites were in 2017. This is what the field was narrowed to. Kind of a similar situation to where we are now. We have six, seven teams that are kind of in the mix. And those teams that were reported in 2017, the favorites were the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Rangers. The contenders were Seattle, Boston, and the Cubs. And the dark horses were San Francisco and Minnesota. If there's anything that's interesting there, you may have noticed I didn't say the Angels. The Angels were not one of those teams that was really expected to be signing Shohei when it was coming down to crunch time. The betting markets at that period, the Angels were plus 1,200. It looked like the Yankees at plus 175 were going to be getting him, according to the betting market. Now, it changed a few different times. The field changed, the reporting changed, and just going through this thread, it's really interesting to see all the reporting. Some of it is from guys who we don't trust as much anymore, like a Bob Nightingale, who, I mean, still a national reporter. He still does break news, and there was a story a week or two ago that Bob broke. I think it was Aaron Nola signing, but I can't, in, in any event, his reporting in 2017 of December was that Seattle was the clear front runner for Otani services, and the Mariners were cautiously optimistic at that point. So uh, this is all to say that we don't really know what the hell is going on inside of Otani's mind, what his camp is thinking. Everybody has said the Dodgers forever, and it does make sense. I've been one of those people saying the Dodgers forever. He has showed by signing in Los Angeles to begin with that he prefers the West Coast. Maybe that's changed because it has been five, six years since he came over, but he did show that initial preference for the West Coast. It's shorter flight times back to Japan, and it's closer to his family. I think he's just used to the schedule of the West Coast time. So I think there's a lot of factors that would lead you to believe he is going to stay on the West Coast. Now, the Dodgers seem to be the favorite, the preferred target, because why wouldn't they be? You get to stay in the same city. You don't have to relocate yourself or your family terribly far. Not to say that it wouldn't be a difference being in Anaheim versus being in Los Angeles. I'm not great with U.S. geography, but I don't think it's terribly far off. You're within the same state. It's not like you're moving across the country or anything. And you're going to be going to a team that is, you know, go look back at historical do- records for the Dodgers over the last 10 seasons. I don't think they've had a year where they've won fewer than 90 games. So you're getting that consistency, staying on the same coast. You're getting, you're joining a great lineup. You're going to be sandwiched somewhere around Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, and Will Smith. Like, that's a very good situation. But the more you think about it, we haven't actually heard anything from Otani's camp in a long time, if ever, in this particular cycle anyway, about what he actually prefers. He hasn't said it because he can't really overplay his hand like that. We haven't heard it from his camp. We haven't heard it from really anybody. We heard a lot of speculation. And going back to that thread, the reason I mentioned it is because you saw the same thing happen six years ago. This team is favored. And then two days later, no, that team is out of it, and this team is favored. And no, it's, it looks like the Yankees. No, it looks like this team. Oh, he's going to the Angels. And the Angels weren't even favored at all. So I think we just don't know anything. We don't know anything until we get Jeff Passan's seal of approval. And this is something I, I said the other day on Twitter. Until Jeff Passan says it happened, it didn't happen. I don't care who it is. And there are a lot of people that I really trust outside of Passan. Robert Murray for Fansided. He is a great reporter. He is usually very spot on. Ken Rosenthal, when he says something is done, it's usually done. Buster only. Similarly speaking. But I just don't really trust anybody outside of passing at this point. That's kind of where we are. It's like in basketball terms, it's Adrian Wojnarowski and it's Shams Charania. If anybody else says something happened in the NBA outside of Woj or Shams, you don't really believe it. In the NFL, it's Adam Schefter. There are certain people that you just really trust. And until Passan says something along the lines of Otani expected to sign here. Otani has reportedly signed with blah, 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 blah. And it won't even be reportedly because Jeff wouldn't say something like that until it's concrete. So until we actually get news, I'm not going to believe any of this stuff. And as a Blue Jay fan, it has been very difficult to try and ignore this stuff because they have been talked about as the favorite by a lot of people who are you know, very reputable reporters. It was even reported by Passon that the Blue Jays were a finalist. So it's it's really tricky to actually parse through the information because Toronto and Los Angeles are completely different teams and different 
climates and different time zones and different periods of their development. I have no idea. If it, if the reporting was that it's looking like the Dodgers, Braves, and Rangers, then you could say, okay, he wants to go to a great team. He wants to go to a contender. But you also see like the Cubs and the Giants. And you put Otani on either of those teams, they're on a completely different coasts as well, and neither one of them is going to be a contender with Otani. The Cubs... You know, they had a really lucky season where, you know, they could have made the playoffs if things broke right, but they just missed. You take Bellinger out, you add Otani. Yeah, it's a better team overall, but it's not like a team that's going to win 95 games and make noise in the postseason, specifically this next year without Otani pitching. So I just, I really don't know what Otani's interests are, where he wants to go, and I don't think anybody does. So the point of this whole spiel is just to say, hold on to your hats. Do not be looking at any rumors and giving them any uh, any precedence at all, especially when it comes from these random people who have 1,000, 2,000 followers. They have paid for a verification checkmark that they didn't actually get based on being affiliated with any news organization. So uh, you just got to take those ones kind of carefully. There's been a couple that I've seen out of Toronto, and I'm sure, you know, if you're in Toronto and you're one of these people that wants to breakthrough in the news scene in that regard and you want to make it look like you had some insider information you could say no look in, in november i said the blue jays were interested in otani well 30 teams are probably interested in otani so i just i'm not reading anything into those reports at all there are times when you can get fooled a little bit especially when it's your own team i've grown up a diehard blue jay fan and been a fan for more than 20 years and it's it's killing me to think of you know otani's gonna sign otani's gonna sign otani's gonna sign and then otani signs with dodgers so I'm just not going to read too much into anything until we know for sure. And at this point right now, we know nothing. And if you want to just see how nothing we know, go to at down to black over on Twitter and just take a look at that thread. It's a really excellent timeline of what happened in 2017. And it just goes to show you, you never know until you actually fully know. Let's talk about Juan Soto because he's the other prized piece in this free agent, not free agent class, I shouldn't say, because he's a free agent next year. But he is the main trade target of this free of this. I'm not going to say free agent class again. He's the main uh, trade target in this offseason. That is, uh, it looks like Juan Soto is the guy that is going to be dealt, and he's going to be the big piece that's on the move uh, through trade this offseason. Now, I'm on record saying I think it is remarkable stupidity to trade Juan Soto in his prime. He's 25 years old. He has put up some absolutely ridiculous numbers. We've talked about them on the show. I've gone on and on on Twitter about it. Even though he's had some down years the past two seasons, he's been at worst like a top 10 or 15 hitter at 24 and 23 in down years. So if this is a guy that you're looking to trade, I think your franchise is probably doing things wrong. But that's where we are. They don't want to sign Juan Soto long-term. They would rather trade him. They'd rather pay somebody else. I don't I don't really know, honestly, anymore. We've just kind of gotten into this mindset of the Padres are going to trade Soto. And I just don't know why. Give him any money he wants. Give him $500, $600 million and lock him up to be with your franchise forever and have him and Tatis just there and you know, just building something amazing with those two guys as the forefront of your organization. Why that is not the plan, I don't know, but we are at the point where it looks like it's a foregone conclusion that Soto is going to be traded. And there's been so much speculation about it, and again, this is where my Blue Jays have been really heavily involved. And the teams that I hear most involved with Juan Soto talks are the Yankees and the Blue Jays. Now, the Yankees one is ridiculous to me. It's mind-blowing. And I think it goes to show that these are just so far removed from being the Yankees that you guys probably grew up with. I remember when I was very young and the Yankees were winning World Series titles. These are very, very different Yankees, even though it's still Brian Cashman, who is the general manager. Somehow he still has a job there. It's not the same Yankees, whether it's coming from ownership or he's just changed his mindset. I think it's got to be ownership because you've got to figure the Yankees of 25, 30 years ago get an opportunity to acquire a 25-year-old player who is in his absolute prime and honestly probably costing a little bit less than he maybe should just because there were those you know couple of quote-unquote bad seasons, you're telling me that you guys are not going to go and try and acquire this player because, and I, I don't know how concrete any of these reports are again, you never know, but they're not going to do it because of a couple of prospects and Michael King. Apparently, that is what is stalling the trade talks. Michael King... Thorpe and Hampton or whatever exactly the package is, and you guys who know me and know this show know that I'm no prospect aficionado, 
but there's no prospect in baseball outside of maybe Jackson Holiday, maybe Wyatt Langford, and maybe the guy we're going to talk about later, Jackson Shurio, that you should, you know, outside of those guys, I think you trade literally anybody, any combination of any other players for Juan Soto. The hit rate for prospects is not amazing, to say the least. And again, we're going to talk about another guy that fits that example as well, is Jared Kelenic. Can you imagine a couple of years ago if Jared Kelenic had been the centerpiece of a Juan Soto trade? You could have seen it when Soto got traded to the Padres if the National, excuse me, if the Mariners at that time had put up a package that was centered around Kelenic and maybe a couple other pieces, they had Marte in their system and you know whatever it was, they could have got Juan Soto for Jared Kelenic. Probably. I, you know, I'm spitballing here, but Kelnick was the number one prospect. I think you could have probably seen the framework for that work out. It ended up being James Wood and Robert Hassel and uh, C.J. Abrams, Mackenzie Gore. But you, I'm pretty sure Seattle could have come up with a package that was similar to that, and I only bring it up because, well, we're going to talk about Kelnick later on in the show, but it's because these prospects don't always hit to hold on to them as if you're holding on to Hall of Fame players at that point. Like the Yankees are doing is absurd. Juan Soto is going to the Hall of Fame. Unless there is a horrible scandal unless there is terrible injury or unless he just, uh, you know, there's no way he's going to fall off. Like he's just, he just is foolproof. He is a absolutely lock solid, rock solid profile at the plate. He has incredible power. Like there is no way that Juan Soto is not going to the hall of fame unless he like beats the crap out of somebody and goes to jail or he kills somebody or like he gets terribly hurt. There's no way that he is not going to, you already know he has panned out. We've, we've seen it. He's put together MVP, multiple MVP caliber seasons already through his age 24 season. Michael King had seven or six good starts at the end of a broken season for the Yankees where it didn't even matter anyway. I don't really understand holding on to him, and the, uh, the thought is that it's Thorpe, uh, Drew Thorpe, the prospect that they're also not willing to part with. Now, the proposed trade that I saw was... Was it Thorpe and it was Thorpe and King for Soto, and they'd have to also take on the the Trent Grisham contract. And apparently, the Yankees did not want to do that. Thorpe has thrown five starts at Double A. They looked like really excellent starts. He has incredible stuff, but it's Double A. It's five starts at Double A. You have no idea if he is going to pan out or not. He's probably not, and I I hate to say that because I don't want to put that on anybody. But the hit rate on prospects is already not as high as people might think it is. And pitching prospects, it's even lower. So when you have an opportunity to trade at this point, based on the reported deal, one fairly high-level prospect, Thorpe, based on what I'm reading, he's not currently included in top 50 prospect lists because there's not a lot of end-of-year lists. But he would be cranking, I'll be cracking top 50 prospect status on a lot of lists. Michael King is a 29-year-old with two years left of team control who's mostly been a reliever, shown some good spurts as a starting pitcher. The Yankees are absolute morons for not pulling the trigger on this trade immediately. And I've heard that another thing that also doesn't make any sense to me is that the Yankees can just go sign him in free agency in a year. Yeah, you could try to, but if you bring him into your organization and you have a year of him playing with Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole and getting to know the culture and getting to know the vibe of playing in New York, you have a year to sell him on your team and your city and your organization and everything else versus just going in cold to a free agent meeting. There is a difference. People online are saying there's no difference. Maybe in individual cases, certain people don't care. Maybe in individual cases, you'll see guys say, I've never set foot in this city. I'll sign here. It's probably not something that happens very often, but you figure if he has a year to play in the city, to be you know adored probably by Yankee fans, but you never really know because it's Yankee fans, you'd figure that that would move the needle a little bit more towards, okay, he's probably going to be able to re-sign, or it's at least more likely that he would re-sign. I don't know why the Yankees wouldn't just pull the trigger on this trade. If it opens the door for the Blue Jays to get in on Juan Soto, obviously you guys know my allegiances, then there's no problem there. But just from a straight baseball standpoint, this is a very, very weird piece of decision-making by the Yankees. I don't think that there's really any prospect outside of maybe the three guys that I mentioned earlier, Holiday, Langford, and Churio, that I wouldn't trade for Soto. And even then, like if the Orioles got a call from the Padres and said, you guys can have Juan Soto for Jackson Holiday straight up, I feel like you still got to really think about that, man. Juan Soto, types of players like Juan Soto – are generational. That word is thrown around a little bit too much, 
But Juan Soto is legitimately one of the best baseball players who has ever played up until the age of 25. What we've seen from him to this point is on a very short list. He's in very rarefied air. And we're, we're, I think, devaluing his overall product because maybe the teams the last couple of years haven't been great. He hasn't been his 100th percentile self. But I think it's real foolish for teams like the Yankees to devalue him. If I'm the Blue Jays, I'm trading Ricky Tiedemann. I'm trading whoever the Padres want at this point, as long as we're not talking 10 or 12 players. And even then, I don't really care. Like, it's Juan Soto, right? If you can do anything you can to bring him into your organization – that's the first step. And for a team like Toronto, you got the chance where it's him and Vladdy. Maybe they can develop some kind of camaraderie, and then you convince them to re-sign there. And any team would be – and it's not just the Yankee thing. It's just because the Yankees are in the news about this. Any team would be stupid to not be trading several high-end prospects for Juan Soto. I just think it's ridiculous. But let's move on, and let's talk about Jackson Churio. Let's talk about the deal that Jackson Churio signed a little bit. I was kind of surprised, but the more I've sat with it a couple days, because it happened over the weekend, or maybe it was Friday. I can't remember which day it was now exactly. Sometime over the weekend this happened since the last time I talked to you guys. I've kind of changed my tune on it a little bit. So you got a guy who is from not the richest country in the world in Venezuela. He's 19 years old, and he has just now secured his family $80-plus million over the next eight years. And I know there are certain people online who say, like, he just got taken advantage of. He just got, you know, he just got screwed here. I can't believe he did this. And there are examples to the point that maybe he did. You look at Ozzy Albee's contract, a lot of those Braves contracts, and you could say, well, shit, those guys probably should have waited out a couple of years longer. And then you have the examples of John Singleton and Scott Kingery and the guys who took the pre-arbitration money, and then they were terrible. And they're very, very happy that they did take that money. You know, uh, you there are certain players that look like they are surefire things, and they just don't pan out. It happens across every sport. But if you are 19 years old, like Churio is, he's born in 2004, and he has now secured himself $80 million. He's also probably guaranteed a spot on the opening day roster. I just can't see anything that's that wrong with this. You know, he blows out his knee tomorrow, and his career is looking done. He's got that $80 million. So, as much as we'd like to say, oh, it could have been 130, it could have been 140 if you waited a couple of years. He is still at a point where, you know, those eight years go by. He'll be 27 years old. If he pans out the way that we think he's going to pan out, then you're still in line for a 10-year or eight-year contract where you're making, probably by that point with inflation, four or $500 million, depending on what you do. So I maybe that's overstretching it a little bit, but like three, $400 million at least. And we don't know the potential for Churio is ridiculous. What we saw him do this past season, just looking at double-A numbers, because that's where he spent the vast majority of his time, 122 games, 22 homers, 43 stolen bases, and a 280 batting average, 112 WRC+. plus. He had an 18% strikeout rate with a 7.3% uh, walk rate. Really, really strong-looking prospect. I have no problem with, with what he did, and I know there are people who are going to, and they're going to say, you know, this team taking advantage of the player and, you know, the player has, you know, they should be talking about grievances. And I've seen a lot of different um, positions put forward and saying the MLB Players Association should step in here. They shouldn't let these kind of things happen. And play a young guy getting taken advantage of. Young guy is getting $10 million a year for each of the next eight years. And he's never, never set foot on a major league diamond. In fact, he's only played six games. He's had 21 at-bats in AAA. That's it. I think this is a pretty good deal for Churio. Now, we'll touch on ADP here a little bit. We won't, we're not doing that so much today, but we'll talk about it for Churio. 235.8 is the current ADP. It will go up. Minimum pick is 137, maximum of 306. I don't mind it if you're talking ADP or beyond. Once you're talking pick 235, you're, you're more shooting for upside anyway. That's like round 16 or so of a 15-team draft. I'm not really taking players at that point that are sure things a lot of the time. You're trying to just hope for a little bit upside here, playing time there. Again, it, it really depends on your format. If it's a draft champions, that's still pretty early in your draft. I like to divide draft champions by thirds because there's 750 picks. Very easy to do it there, just 250, three different times. He's going in the top third there, so it's still like an important position for your team overall. It would be a starting spot in most cases, I, just don't, I don't really have a problem with it, but I just think if we're pushing him up farther and farther and farther, which is what is going to happen here, 
We know he's going to be there opening day unless there is something crazy that happens because you don't pay the guy this kind of money to play in AAA. I just can't see myself justifying the price that I think it will be because right now it's not terrible, 235, but it's not going to stay there. It'll probably inch closer to that minimum, which is almost 100 picks higher at 137. It probably won't be there as an ADP, but like 160, 150, and then you're talking instead of around 16, you're talking about around 10 maybe or 11. And maybe in some cases it ends up like this early minimum pick of 137, and you're talking like round nine. And then at that point, you're kind of killing the upside, right? You're killing what could be a really nice pick for you. It's what people do all the time. We did it last year with Anthony Volpe. Volpe in the last few weeks of draft season was going in the top like 80 picks <clears throat> because we knew he was going to be on the team. We knew he was going to be getting at bats. Uh, I think he had a couple homers in spring or something, and then everybody just lost their mind. If that happens with Churio, then that's when I'll be out. Right now, I'm kind of just, you know, I'll dip my toe into the water. I'll take him once or twice. But you got to remember here, too, something with his profile. I think a huge piece of the value is going to come from stolen bases. And I don't know that you're going to see, like, a ton of everything else. Because if you look at the projections right now, he's got 15 homers, 15 steals, and 253. Now, the 15 steals feels like a really low number, and you tend to see that a lot when guys jump from the minors to the majors. We saw it with Corbin Carroll last year. A lot of the time, especially with these new major league rules around stealing, they don't often get these projections right for rookies. Rookies are the hardest players to project because there's just no sample size to, to go off of. You have to try and translate the minor league data and try and you know build in some regression into your model because guys don't usually maintain their pace from the minor leagues. So he's expected to hit 15 homers to 15 stolen bases and 253 batting average. Even if you say that 15 steals is 25, which is, I think, a lot closer to likely 25, 30 steals, especially if he's up opening day and he's healthy, there's no reason that you can't do that. But you're talking 15 home runs. You're talking about a lineup as a whole that's kind of not that great, and you're not talking about a great batting average asset either. You're talking on base percentage leagues, not that great as well because you're not talking about a guy who walks a hell of a lot. He's about an average league uh, league average walk guy. So it's 280 uh, average this year in AA. It was only a 330 on base percentage. So whatever your format is, and that's projected to be 250 and 304 this year, by the way, so whatever your format is, I think that you're probably going to be overpaying for Churio just based on the prospect type. And I never like to do that overpay based on any factor, really, but specifically when it's a guy who has never played a major league game and we're just hoping that he can adjust immediately, seamlessly, because that's what you need, a seamless transition that pretty much happens right away to the major league game, or else you're going to want to be dropping this guy. If you take him inside the top 150 picks, then you can't really justify dropping him for a while. If you're drafted now and you take him at 235 and he has a shitful first month, then it's okay. You know, you don't have as much of a sunk cost because it didn't cost you as much. But if you're talking about, you know, drafting in March and Churio's hit a couple of preseason dingers and he's stolen a couple bases and he's on Sports Center and you're paying a 110, 120 tag on him, I just think there's not really any upside in it at that point. The current price does allow for some positive return on investment. But he'd have to really smash to be a top 150 player this year. And I just don't see it, right? Those 22 homers, it's probably going to fall off a little bit because that's just naturally what happens. You're not going to hit the same number of homers in the majors as you did in the minors. Very rarely, especially with this kind of profile. I just think you're probably looking at like what the projections are saying, 15 to 17, and that's replaceable. The stolen bases, you know, it's nice to get them at that point, but with a bad batting average, I just think it's fairly average production that you'll be getting from Churio as a whole. We'll talk with Eric Cross. Uh, I'll bring him on the show and maybe Clegg as well and Welsh and James Anderson. We'll, we'll talk with these guys all throughout the preseason and get their takes on what they expect for these guys because these guys focus on prospects a hell of a lot more than I do. I don't really focus on it at all. That's why, you know, we talk with these guys in the industry who do know about it. And we'll get their take because maybe I'm off. Maybe I'm not giving him enough credit for the you know, for the fact that he is only 19 years old because that is a, a crazy stat line to have done at that age. But I just think, you know, if you're talking dynasty, it's a different story. But for redraft, for next year's purposes, I just feel like he's probably going to go a little bit higher than he should be. Let's move on. Let's talk about Jared Kelenic. We're finally at the Jared Kelenic portion of the show. We haven't talked about him a lot, really, for months. Uh, he didn't fit into our top outfielders, of course, for this season, as much as we thought that he might have. The way he started the year, you know, if you'd asked me at the end of the month of April, 
Um, is Jared Kelnick going to be a top 30 outfielder for the season? I would have said absolutely. Like He looked like he had actually finally broken through this season, and we weren't going to have to deal with any more of the crap that we'd seen the past two seasons. First month of the year, Kelnick hit seven home runs. He was batting 308. He'd stolen five bases, and he was perfect five for five at that point. It looked like it was going to be... The beginning of a beautiful friendship, as uh, I forget what movie we're talking Was that from Casablanca? I can't even remember at this point. I think it was Casablanca. But regardless, it looked like the beginning of something really nice from Jared Kelenic. He got hurt. He missed some time. I think he hurt himself at one point. He, like, kicked a cooler or he punched a wall or he did something. It was some, some self-inflicted wound that he had. And he ended up playing 105 games. 11 homers, 13 stolen bases. He batted 253. He had a 31.7% strikeout rate. And overall, it wasn't that much better than the years past. The batting average was obviously the huge improvement. We saw 181 and 141 in his two other cups of coffee. And then he got up to 253. We saw him stealing more bases. And we did see flashes, right? We saw flashes of, well, maybe he was a number one prospect for a reason. And we can't be giving up on Jared Kalanick yet for fantasy. And this is one of the things we're going to, you know, we we're talking about this. Uh, we were talking with Jeff Erickson about this a few weeks ago, about post-hype guys and how Jared Kalanick kind of fit into that perfectly. He's post, post-hype at this point. He's a couple of years beyond where we thought he would be. And he's a guy that's, you know, going in the past pick 200 kind of range of drafts, not going to be that expensive, could really, really pan out for you. And then the whole world kind of got turned on his head last night with Jared Kelnick when he was traded to the Atlanta Braves with Marco Gonzalez and Evan White in exchange for Cole Phillips and Jackson Coward. Kelnick is obviously the big piece here. Let's just go beyond him for a second, though, and talk Marco Gonzalez very briefly because there's really not a hell of a lot to say about Marco Gonzalez. I think he's one of the worst starting pitchers in all of baseball, and specifically for fantasy purposes. You're talking about a guy who had a 522 ERA, and a 483 xFIP, like the numbers were supporting the fact that he was not good. He does not strike out anybody, 15.8% strikeout rate. And the thing that had always been good for him, which was his control, went up to an 8.4% walk rate this year. So you're talking about a 7.4 strikeout minus walk rate. Terrible numbers there. His ERA has kind of fluctuated throughout his career, but the underlying numbers have always shown that he's like a 4-plus ERA guy at best, probably 4, 4.5, 4.6. And we have reports today that the Braves are not planning on keeping him. He is going to be flipped in another trade of some kind. They were they're going to trade him for what? I'm not even sure what the what exactly they're expected to trade him for. But he will not be a Brave, uh, according to what we have heard. Now the last piece of the trade was Evan White. Evan White, who is making good not not crazy money, but he's making four million dollars a year for the next couple of seasons. He's one of those examples of a guy who just did not pan out. Uh, it looked like he was going to be pretty special a couple of years ago, but what we've seen over the major league career, which is only a couple of seasons, and I haven't even seen him at the big league level since 2021, but you're talking about a guy who's bat 165, 10 homers. Uh, he has one stolen base over 84 games, 37% strikeout rate. Uh, so we're not talking about really anything here other than a salary dump for the Mariners, which also cost them Jared Kelnick. Now, what did they get back, you might ask? Cole Phillips, who I don't really know anything about Cole Phillips. He was just drafted this past season, or he was drafted in 2022, but he hasn't actually debuted in any professional level because he had Tommy John surgery. He's not a guy that is going to be ranked terribly high on prospect lists from what I've seen today. He is going to be ranked, uh, I think it was Baseball America. Somebody from there was talking about how he's like number 31 through 40 range in the Braves system. So we're not talking about a guy who is going to be lighting up prospect boards probably here. He's only 20 years old. Uh, he had a good fastball from what I have heard, but I just think that you're not really talking about a lot there with Cole Phillips. You know, There's a big warning flag of a guy who's already had Tommy John surgery at 20 years old. Uh, it's, not, it's not ideal. And then Jackson Cower, of course, who's been in a couple of trades this offseason, he's not somebody that I think you can really put a lot of stock in either. Uh, he was terrible in his cup of coffee that he had this season he was not great when he got a cup of coffee in 22 or 2021 again you're talking about a former top prospect who you know 74 major league innings has a 9.12 era he has a terrible 13 percent walk rate and he's only struck out 20 percent of batters so I don't know what Seattle is really doing here. I've heard it speculated that they are just dumping money so that they can bring in Shohei Otani or trade for Juan Soto you got to be dumping, what was it, $4 million annually 
when you're talking about uh, Evan White and then Marco Gonzalez is making, let me just pull up what he's making. It's not a lot, though. Marco Gonzalez is not making a ton of money here. You're talking $7 million bucks. So you guys have to dump like $10 million in just to get rid of a number one prospect as well because Kalanick is still at the point where he's exhausted prospect status, but he's still within that realm of he was a number one prospect just a couple of years ago. To get rid of him, just to dump a little bit of salary, seems really stupid, and I've heard a lot of Seattle fans talk about how this is kind of not really surprising from their ownership, dumping salary. Now, they've also got rid of Eugenio Suarez, and they made a couple of trades this offseason that are leading people to believe that they're going to go out and sign Soto or Otani. But is clearing 10 or 15, I guess in total you're talking 7, like, you know, 13 million, 12 million dollars annually. You need to do that to bring in a $400 million, $500 million player. The math doesn't really math in that situation, right? Would you not rather just, especially as an owner of a major sports franchise, as a billionaire, would you not rather eat that money, which is a few million dollars, which is not great, and then potentially still get to hold on to the young prospect who could blossom into something amazing, Jared Kelenic? I think that that would have been the correct route to go as opposed to you know a salary dump for, for Kelenic, but this is where we are right now, and I'm at the point where it's going to make me more interested in Kelenic than what we had seen over the past couple seasons just because he's going to be in a competent lineup. And based on the reports that we've seen, he may even be competing for that opening day left field job. Now, I've heard Vaughn Grissom, he's talked about as being a potential guy that could be getting some left field at bats. Now, Grissom is brought up as a middle infielder, so I'm really not sure how that would work exactly. But the way that Roster Resource has it planned right now is a Kalanick and Vaughn Grissom a platoon where Kalanick, of course, is going to take the strong side there as a lefty. And right now he's projected about eighth in that lineup. This could become an opportunity for Kalanick where he revitalizes his career just by the fact of playing in an amazing, amazing lineup. He doesn't need to be at the top of the order to be super, super productive. And we've seen it with Michael Harris. Michael Harris has been a guy who has been very productive fantasy-wise, obviously very different players, but producing from the 8-9 hole in that order. We saw Orlando Arcia have a fantasy-relevant season this year from the bottom of the order. Whether he had 17 homers, he batted 265, he had decent counting stats. He wasn't like a shallow league guy, but Orlando Arcia legitimately had fantasy juice this season just because he was in that lineup. You could see that happen with Jared Kelnick, and it wouldn't really surprise you at all. And I think based on the price, I'm probably willing to take a chance on him, assuming similarly to Churio that it doesn't just skyrocket, and I think it will which is the unfortunate thing, and that's why you can kind of take advantage of drafting early a little bit. If you can take Jared Kalanick right now where he's going, which is 228, 229 on average, as opposed to taking him three months from now where people are going to be pushing him top 200, he's in the Braves lineup. He's starting, you know, Kalanick's probably hitting 25 this year and driving in 100. Someone's going to say it. It's not going to happen because he's not going to be batting in a position in the lineup where there's going to be that many opportunities for him. He could hit 25 homers. He could steal 20 bases and hit, you know, 270. It's totally possible, but people are going to be expecting it almost because of the team he's now playing for, and that's where you're probably going to be disappointed. But if you have reasonable expectations for a guy like Kelenic and you say, okay, I'm drafting today, I'm taking him at pick 230 overall, which is the 16th round, you don't really need to have that much invested in him. If he's like your fifth outfielder or if you're talking shallower league and he's like a bench piece for you, there's really not that much you need to worry about risking. If he doesn't work out at that point, you drop him. You know, Especially in your shallower leagues, you drop him, and there's a ton of value on the waiver wire. You don't need to worry about it. But there's also the chance that Jared Kelnick is given you know, the lion's share of the starting opportunities. And as a lefty, you figure he will probably. Don't know how it's going to all pan out. And you know, if they bring in Otani, like we speculated earlier, like has been speculated earlier, then that changes the whole calculus for everything. Then Ozuna probably has to go. And then <clears throat> I really don't know what happens because you figure Otani would probably have to play the field occasionally just to give every other guy a day off here and there. And then everything gets blown up. Whoever signs Otani, it, it blows everything up. But as of right now, if Jared Kelnick's starting, let's call it five days a week in the Braves lineup, then he is worth a pick 230 or pick 220 or even probably pick 200 in your draft. We saw him start to put things together last season to the point where it got really interesting. And, you know, I talked about how the first month of the year was his best month of the season. 
But if you just look at the small sample size that we had from him in the second half once he came back, it was a 288 batting average over those 21 games. He stole a couple bases. Yes, he didn't hit any home runs in that stretch. But I think that we have seen enough of a sample size from Kellenic to know that there is enough talent there for him to succeed. It's a matter of finding the right situation, and maybe it's something mentally that he has to figure out between the ears. But there's enough talent there for Kellenic to be a borderline star-level player. He can be a 2020 guy. He can hit 250. He can hit 260. And in the right lineup, and this is the best lineup he could possibly be in, you think even at the bottom of that order, there's a chance that he goes for like 70 runs and 70 ribbies. And if things play out well, maybe he's able to get some at-bats, maybe batting second. Or if Acuna has a day off, maybe he's batting leadoff or behind Harris. You know, you could see a best-case scenario where Kellenic really is an amazing fantasy asset this season. You could also see a scenario where Jared Kellenic is in AAA by the time that May rolls around, Von Grissom starting every day in left field, and then we never hear from him again. So there is a bit of a wide range of outcomes here, but I think at the price that you're paying for Kellenic at this point, it's reasonable. Once Jared Kellenic, you know, once the hype gets around and people start looking at projections and lineups and thinking he's in the Braves order, especially if there's any thunder in spring, if he hits a spring training homer or anything along those lines, stealing a couple bases, something like that, then the price is probably going to go irrationally high because we're very reactive. Fantasy drafters, regardless of your sport, are very reactive. Oh, he's starting tonight? Pick him up. That guy had 20 points last night in the game? Pick him up. You know, we're very, very reactive, and I could see that happening with Kellenic and with Churio where the prices get to a point where they're unreasonable. But right now on both of them, if you're drafting, hit that button. Round 15, round 16, that's the cheapest they're going to be all draft season, specifically if you are in a trading league. And I know right now most of the drafts that are taking place are NFBC. I think fan tracks might be open, and there's a couple places where you could be drafted. But if you're in a trading league and you can take those guys and the, you can capitalize maybe on some of the hype because you know there's a part of this that's almost like the stock market. Dynasty in particular, but even in a redraft, you take 16th round Churio, you get a shit ton of hype leading up to the season, and you trade him for a 10th round player. There is value in that as well. There is maybe it's just perceived value because you don't actually know what's going to play out, but there are a lot of different ways you can go with these guys, and a lot of the smart strategies I think involve taking a share or two now before the price gets really, really, really out of hand. Let's talk about one more thing before I let you guys go today, and that's Yoshinobu Yamamoto. And I believe I've pronounced it right there. Although, if you guys have been following along um, for the duration of this show, you guys know that I have been known to butcher some names. Um, So if I'm pronouncing Yamamoto's name wrong, it wouldn't totally shock me. Now, let's talk a little bit about some of the reporting that we've seen on him because he is still somebody that is really, really tricky to figure out. And he's going at kind of almost a ridiculously high price at this point. Uh, it is varying, and we have 73 total drafts now, so I'm, I'm glad that the sample size is getting bigger. But 78 is his ADP with a minimum of 46, a maximum of 115. The price is going to be expensive for Yamamoto, and I honestly don't really know how to feel about it. I partially kind of think it's fine, but we also don't know at all what he's going to look like in the major leagues. And Everybody is saying, well, I mean, look at Kode Senga. Not everybody, but I've heard it said a lot. Look at Kode Senga did last year. He came over right away. Immediately, the strikeout translated. It took him a while to get the control down, but you got a sub-three ERA in his first year. Yamamoto is, by all accounts, a much superior pitcher to Senga. That's where the, the hype comes from, I think. It's not apples to apples, necessarily. You know, you never know, especially with you know relocating yourself to a different country, a different continent, the effect that that's going to have on you. It might have no effect. It might have a huge effect. So the human element in these kind of transactions, a lot of the time gets left behind. I don't know how that's going to affect him. And I don't know that I've seen really anybody talk about it. And maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's totally nothing where he is a guy who's very headstrong or whatever. I just, I don't know a lot about the guy to say, will a move overseas affect him or not? I, I have no idea. What we do know right now is that the floor for his contract is expected to be $200 million, and some people think that he'll make up to $250 million. There have been six pitchers in Major League history that have signed deals that are worth $600 million, or excuse me, $200 million. Six pitchers. Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, David Price, Clayton Kershaw, Max Scherzer, and Zach Greinke. It's a very short list. You're talking on that list Five Hall of Fame, four Hall of Famers, 
Strasburg and Price could have potentially gotten there if health had worked out for them. Um, but Cole's going to the Hall of Fame. Kershaw's going to the Hall of Fame. Scherzer's going to the Hall of Fame. Grinky's going to the Hall of Fame. It's a very high dollar figure to pay for a guy who has literally never pitched in Major League Baseball. And I know it's not nothing against him. It's like he hasn't had the opportunity to. But until you actually know what a guy's going to look like, paying a crazy high draft price is just not something I really want to do. Can it pay off? Yes. But a lot of the times, these prices are not going to be paying off when you are paying premiums for these particular players. If you're getting a guy who's coming from overseas or a prospect or whatever, and you're drafting them like 250, 300, there's no real risk there, right? It doesn't pan out. It doesn't pan out. Kellenick, he's going 230. Churio in the same range. They don't pan out. Drop him, whatever. If Yamamoto doesn't pan out and you're taking him like whoever took him at 46, you're setting yourself back quite a ways. I have seen draft boards where people are taking him as their number one starting pitcher. Number one starting pitcher, relying on him to be the ace of your staff when you don't know where he's going to play, you don't know what the ballpark factors or the team factors are going to look like, you have no idea what the performance is going to look like at all. I just think it's a huge, huge risk to be paying for a guy where there are a lot of variables, there are a lot of unknowns here. Now, the teams that are being reportedly are interested in him are the usual suspects, the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, the Red Sox, <clears throat> excuse me, the Cubs, uh, the Giants, the Blue Jays, and the Phillies. These are the teams that are showing interest in Yamamoto. Now, they're all pretty good situations. He goes to the Mets. I think the Mets are going to be better this year regardless, but that should help them along. The Dodgers, we already know what that situation will look like. Yankees, I don't think they'll be down on the mat for too long. And this is another point that I've talked about. Uh, if you guys have missed it, though, I'll repeat it here. The Cardinals, Mets, Yankees, Padres, the teams that really disappointed last season, I can't see them doing it two years in a row. So adding a guy like a Yamamoto would just help that out, help out that cause in terms of getting back to a point of respectability, I guess I could say, because they really, really took some uh, some shots in terms of the reputation department these last this last season. The Cardinals, the Yankees, the Padres, the Mets, getting one of these guys, Yamamoto, or Otani or Soto or whatever, would really go a long way towards rebuilding it. But I think regardless, these teams are going to do things internally and externally that do make them better. So I think the Yankees will be good. Long way of saying, I think the Yankees will be pretty good. The Mets will be pretty good. Dodgers will be pretty good. Red Sox, eh, I don't know about the Red Sox fully. And the Cubs, kind of the same with the Giants. Those are the teams where I'm a little bit worried. Like, if he goes and signs with the Cubs, you got a fairly small ballpark there with not great team factors around you. I don't know that I'd be that interested, especially a pick 78. Like, that's just really expensive. If he goes to the Dodgers, then pick 78 feels really, really good. And you can kind of take advantage of the market in certain instances at this point, but I feel like the market almost takes advantage of you when there is a player where, like a Yamamoto, specifically Yamamoto, where there are just so many unknowns. You're going to draft him, and you're going to use one of your first four or five rounds worth of picks, and it might be amazing. It, it might turn out that Yamamoto is able to exactly translate what he has done in Japan. He has a 182 ERA and a 70-29 and 29 record over seven seasons. He is incredible. He, like, he is an absolute stud. But he's also not been facing Major League talent. Different ballparks, different dimensions, different defenses behind him, different coaches, different everything. So I just personally don't like <clears throat> to take those massive chances <clears throat> Excuse me, within the top 100 of ADP. Especially if we're talking top 70, top 80, you know, you, you, crouch, you crouch earlier to the top of the draft, it just makes me more and more out. And Yamamoto is going to follow the same pattern that everybody else signs. He's going to be jumping up in price once he actually has a contract down because that's the way it works. It happens with everybody every single season, even if it's five picks, 10 picks, 50 picks, it doesn't matter what the actual number will be. The price will get more expensive. So that 78 ADP will probably jump around because there's not you know a room for it to jump 50 picks. He's not going to go in the second round, but he'll go in the third. Like People will take him in the third round once he signs. It'll take him as their first starting pitcher, as people have been doing. It just feels super risky at this point without really knowing what we're getting ourselves into. Could be you're getting yourself a guy who's going to win the Rookie of the Year and the Cy Young and just be an absolute stud, or it could be a guy who struggles to translate to the American game, is not able to control the ball the way he was in Japan, and he has a 4.6 ERA. It's totally possible. 
there are just, again, and we talked about this with a few different players today, a very wide range of outcomes. I guess, you know, naturally, this will be the cheapest you can get Yamamoto. So if you do want to have a share of him, you just say, you know, I like the guy. I want to have him on one of my teams this year. Take it now. Don't wait until it's March and you're paying an absolute premium if you do want Yamamoto. Take it now before he signs because at this point, it's the cheapest you're going to get him. But I really don't think that it is the wisest of draft picks in that range. And there are a lot of pitchers inside the top 100 and beyond. We've talked about them on the show on and on Twitter that I just think are a lot safer options. But that will do it. That will do it for us. I hope I was able to catch you guys up, give you a little bit of insight on my thinking as to what's going on around the league. There is a lot happening. Winter meetings started today in Nashville. You got to think there'll be something that happens out of the winter meetings with all the agents and all the press and all the general managers there. There will be something that happens. It might be a lot of just bullshit reporting of people trying to be in the loop and reporting, oh, this team is interested in this guy. This team wants that guy or something like that. But we might actually get some good concrete news. And even though we did this show today, if Shohei signs tomorrow, we will talk about it because he is that important. If Otani, uh, excuse me, if Soto gets traded tomorrow, we'll talk about it. Yamamoto gets signed. We'll probably do a special show on it as well. Uh, We're going to do that for the marquee players. If they all sign at once, we all get to do it in one day. Uh, But either way, we will have you covered here, of course. And I got you covered over on Twitter as well with updates and everything else at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O 99. You can also check us out at Ethos Fantasy BB. That's E-T-H-O-S Fantasy BB. All of our podcasts, articles, polls, news and notes, updates to the site, giveaways, contests, everything. Uh, That is where you find it, Ethos Fantasy BB. And, of course, sportsethos.com is the website for you guys to be checking out. We'll be back tomorrow. We may get into relief pitchers. We may see what's going on around the league. That's the beauty of a daily show. You never really know. Uh, You're kind of held hostage by the news to some extent, but we like it around here. We like to be right on top of what's going on on a given day. So we'll be back with a show tomorrow. Not sure what it'll be on yet, but either way, until then, guys, take care, have a great night, and cheers. Cheers.